You're listening to Asbury University's Chapel Podcast, recorded live from our campus in Wilmore, Kentucky. Asbury's Chapel Service hosts speakers from around the world to inspire academic excellence and spiritual vitality. We hope you enjoy today's message. So I want to start with a shout out to any psychology major who's here. Are you here? Yes, yay! Good. My psychology majors know their major, I hope. Do you? Do you know what's going to happen in your life next semester? Do you know what comes after college? Do you know where you're going to go in your life? I know that many of you struggle with these questions because you've sat in my office and we have talked about your doubts and your fears and your plans. And we've sometimes even cried together. I also know because I've been there myself. There have been so many times in my life where I just wanted to know the plan, the whole plan, and God would just give me the very next step. And he'd only give it to me when I absolutely needed it. There were times that he gave me hints, but I'll tell you, I never really understood the hints either. I was so not okay with this ambiguity when I was your age, so I managed, right? I managed my anxiety by creating my own plan. That was until God intervened. Proverbs 16.9, our verse for today, tells us that the human heart plans the way, but the Lord directs our steps. Well, this afternoon, I want to walk you through my journey, how God changed my plan. I'm going to use four scenes from the life of Abram, Abraham. His life encourages me to have more faith. So scene one, Genesis 12. Here we encounter Abram. He's married to Sarai. They are living with his family in a small town called Haran, on the way to Canaan. Abram is 75 years old, and God speaks to him and says, now for the first time, I want you to move away from your family, and I want you to go into a land that I will yet show you. He doesn't even know where he's going yet. God promises, though, to take Abram, make him into a good nation, He promises to bless him. He promises to bless those who bless Abram and to curse those who curse Abram. And he promises that all the people will be blessed through him. So Abram went as the Lord told him. You all, this is simple trust. This is faith. No questions, no hesitations. He just packed up and went. And he trusted that God would fulfill his promises. I have a friend who says that faith is taking God at his word and acting on it. And that is exactly what Abram did. I know that God met me before I even knew him. When I was about 10 years old, I kept having dreams of being chased. They were scary. They were frightening. And one night in a dream a man appeared. I know now that this man was Jesus. And he said to me, repeat the words that I say and these dreams will stop. 
I did that. It was my very first act of faith, and I never had another dream like that. I also woke up knowing the Lord's prayer. I was unchurched and would not become a Christian for seven years, and yet God had put his prayer in my heart. You know, it wasn't long before Abram met his first obstacle. He was following God, but life gets hard, and there is a great famine, and he decides he's going to control the problem by going into Egypt. Now, he knows that this is dangerous because his wife is beautiful, and they're probably going to want her for their own, and they're likely to kill him, so he tells her, lie, say you're my sister, then they will try to earn my, they'll try to win my favor by giving me things so that they can have you. She does this. Abram was trying to solve his problem on his own. Myself, you know, I had mostly a good childhood. There were some hard things, but my parents and my grandparents and my great-grandparents had very rough lives. They were born in significant poverty in Appalachia. So just to give you a picture of what I mean, the house, the little house that my mother grew up in, had no plumbing. They had one sink in the kitchen, cold water only, no other plumbing. And it stayed that way until 1994 when my grandfather died. My dad lived in a holler in Western Virginia, and for lots of different reasons, he had to drop out of school in eighth grade. He would later, after I was born, earn his GED and become a master electrician, and that changed his life and mine. Even so, my parents were forever marked by their upbringings. And somehow that got internalized into me as believing that I would never be good enough, that I could never let anyone see the real me or I would be rejected, that no one could ever really care about me. I thought that I was flawed, that I was broken, that I was unlovable, that I was hopeless. I thought that I was less than. And by the time I entered high school, I was struggling with significant depression, paralyzing social anxiety. And I learned to hide it all by becoming a perfectionist. Perfectionism was my primary coping mechanism. Now, when I say that I was seemingly perfect, I want you to understand what I mean. Okay, I was perfect in my schoolwork. Listen, I won multiple awards in math and science. I was the president of National Honor Society, a member of student government. I volunteered as a candy striper in a local hospital. I had a perfect GPA and near-perfect test scores. I was our co-valedictorian. I was accepted into an accelerated undergraduate program in which I would compete, complete my bachelor's of science in two years with no transfer credits, and I had a guaranteed in seat in medical school as a high school senior. Think about that. My behavior was also seemingly perfect. I have never gotten in trouble at school, ever. I have never skipped a day of class, ever. I have never drank, smoked, 
experiment it with any of those things that teens often experiment with, ever. I have never gotten a speeding ticket, ever, right? In fact, the very worst thing that I did in my adolescence was the senior year of high school, I TP'd my pastor's house. And I felt so guilty about it that I went and confessed the next day and cleaned it up for them, okay? Now, I am not telling you all this because I'm bragging. Please don't hear bragging. I'm telling you this because I want you to hear my neurotic need to cover my deep insecurities. My perfectionism was my attempt to fix myself and not let anyone see me. Just as Abram attempted to fix his problems on his own, that didn't keep God from coming back to him and restating his promise. My attempt to fix, hide myself, actually ended up landing me in a group of Christian friends, even though I knew nothing about Christianity. Oh, for the grace and faithfulness of God. You all, I didn't even know that I needed those friends. And I had no clue how much I needed their God. The human heart plans the way, but the Lord directs our steps. Scene two of our story. At some point, Abram now is somewhere between 75 and 86. God comes to him again, this time in a vision. And God restates all of his promises to Abram and reveals a little bit more of the plan. Abram's heir would be of his own blood. His descendants would spend 400 years in slavery, but God would rescue them. And to formalize these promises, God enters into covenant with Abram using the customs of that day. This, you all, is perhaps one of the most beautiful moments of Abram's life. If you really understand what was happening, Abram brings the sacrificial animals, he cuts them in half, he lays them out side by side, as was the custom, and now, by custom, he, as the lesser party in this covenant, should walk through them, but he doesn't. Instead, God himself walks through them. As Dr. Julianne Burnett, our new Old Testament professor, said to me, even though God is clearly the greater, he is willing to initiate the covenant and to take on what was considered culturally the lesser role in order to prove to Abram just how serious and trustworthy he is. And for that ancient context, it was like hearing God say, if I fail to be faithful to my covenant, if I break any of my promises, then may I be slaughtered and obliterated, just as these sacrificial animals have been. This is how faithful God is. In my own life, those friends in high school introduced me to Jesus. I had tried and tried to make myself perfect in order to be accepted, to become loved, and I failed every single time. But 
But this God, he took all my failures, all of my brokenness onto himself. He even died for me. He loved me that much. More than that, even. And I didn't even have to do one thing to earn it. How can that be? How can God be that good? But he is. And just before my senior year of high school, I accepted Christ as my savior. I had no clue that doing so would change absolutely everything. It didn't take long for God to show me that my plan was going to change. I was going to become a different kind of healer. The first change to my plan is that I would drop out of that advanced medical program and major in psychology. Oh, the human heart plans its ways, but God directs our steps. Abram and Sarai were old, and they were not conceiving a child as God had promised. So they do exactly what I tend to do, and they decided that they would try to resolve the situation on their own. Sarai um, has her maidservant, Hagar, go into Abram so Abram can conceive a child, and a child is born Ishmael. But Ishmael is not the child that God had promised. But even so, God does what he does, and he agreed to bless this child because God redeems our missteps. He is a redeemer, God. During college, I became engaged to my high school boyfriend. We made a plan to attend seminary together. I was going to study counseling. He was going to study ministry but our relationship was not very good, and we ended up breaking our engagement. My plan fell through, and I couldn't fathom how I could attend seminary without him. I was only going to be 21. Uh, I was moving to another state without family or friends. I would be at seminary as a brand new Christian. I'd be studying mostly with men. I almost didn't come to Asbury Seminary. In fact, I almost chose another school and another relationship, but God shut those doors. And so I came to Wilmore on my own. And the very first day of orientation, I met the man who would become my husband. And we've been together ever since. God is a redeemer, God. Seen Abram is now 99 years of age. It's been 24 years after the plan first came to him, and it still hasn't come about, right? God appears to him again. He repeats his promises, descendants, land, blessings. But this time, God asks something of Abram. He tells him that in order to keep the covenant, he has to be circumcised, and all the men in his household have to be circumcised. God also gives Abram a new name. He calls him Abraham, father of nations. He gives Sarai a new name, Sarah, the mother of nations. And God promises that this son will come within the year. In my own life, God was growing me up in seminary. I was doing very well, of course, but I was exhausted from pushing myself and trying to keep up. 
My Bible and theology classes were absolutely brand new to me, and they were hard. I was still struggling with depression. I was still struggling with social anxiety. I was going to have to take a preaching class. How can I do that? I was willing myself to walk the path that God had laid before me, and I just couldn't do it myself anymore. I ended up one afternoon in the office of the pastor at the Free Methodist Church, and he helped me to see that I don't have to will myself to do anything, that I had a choice. I could continue to control things myself, or I could submit myself to God and let him take control. The Holy Spirit filled the room that day and overwhelmed me with such incredible love. And in that moment, you all, I came to know that this wasn't about me, it was about God. And I submitted myself to him, my complete will to him, and he filled me with his spirit. In that moment, it was incredible. I can't even put it into words. What I know is that my perfectionism died that day, that my old self was cut off, right? It was circumcised for me. I gave myself to God, and he gave me a new identity. I was now his child. Wesleyans would say that I was sanctified that day. Yes, I agree. I would tell you that I have come to know the meaning of 1 John 3, 1 in a very personal way. It says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And that is who we are. That is who I am. Well, it wasn't long after this day that God revealed more pieces of his story to me. He planted this tiny little seed that I might be teaching someday he showed me that I would integrate psychology and theology together in the work that I do. And he called me to ministry. <laughs> I hesitate there for a reason. So I stayed at seminary. I got my Master of Divinity degree. I started on the ordination path in the Free Methodist Church. I still laugh because why would somebody like me ever be called into ministry? But the human heart plans its ways, and God, the Lord, directs. Our steps. Scripture tells us that we have been saved and we are being saved, that we have been sanctified and we are being sanctified. And because of that, every now and then, even after we have an experience with God, we pick up our old selves and we try to fix things ourselves. Abraham did that, right? Once again, he moves into a new region. He's afraid for his life. He tells his wife to lie. God redeems that. I've done that. At this time, God was leading me to go to a Christian doctoral program in clinical psychology so I could integrate psychology and theology together. Y'all, it was expensive. I couldn't figure out how it was going to work. And Ohio State University, they invited me to come and they gave me a completely full ride. I couldn't say no, so I went. My training was intense. At that time, we had one son, and I had become pregnant with our second son. We had some rough church experiences. Eventually, God led us out of the Free Methodist Church and into the Church of the Nazarene. 
And I was so overwhelmed with everything that was going on in my life that I walked away from his call to ministry. God would redeem that. He is that faithful. Scene four. In chapter 21 of Genesis, we see that the Lord is faithful to Sarah and gives her a son. She is amazed. My doctoral program allowed me to get so many different kinds of experiences. I worked with so many different kinds of people. My year of residency actually brought me back to this area. I worked at the federal prison in Lexington and specialized in correctional psychology and forensic assessment. After my residency, I became Dr. Dean and I became a licensed psychologist. I had a good job. I was amazed that God could bring me to this point. Oh, the human heart plans its ways, but the Lord directs our steps. Abraham had Isaac, and God tested Abraham. Isaac was the son through which the promise would come to Abraham, and God said, will you give him up? Abraham said yes. I don't understand that. I don't understand the question, and I don't understand the response, except I know that Abraham trusted God. He knew that God would keep his word, and he acted on that. He knew that God was faithful. And in the story, we see that, in fact, God does provide. Like Abraham, God also tested me. I had graduated, I was in a good job, and I started to get offers for other jobs, and I was getting offers for some really good jobs. And I, in my heart at that point, I wanted to work at the federal prison. Think about this, in the world's eyes, the prison job was the best. I would be making a ton of money, like starting over six digits, right? I would be, um, conducting sanity and competency evaluations for the federal courts. I would be a forensic psychologist. Who doesn't want to be a forensic psychologist, right? And God said, yeah, but I want you to go to Asbury. What? What? I couldn't understand how that was going to be the right choice. I just couldn't make sense of it. But God said, do you trust me? Yes, God, I trust you. By his grace, I trusted him. So this brings us to the end of our story. In Genesis 24, we read that Abraham was very old and he, the Lord had blessed him in every way. And I will tell you all today that I am not yet very old. I'm a little bit old, not very old. <laughs> but the Lord has blessed me in every way. When I was your age, I would have laughed if someone had told me that I would be a college professor. I couldn't even talk in front of people. There is no way I could have done this job. And yet, by the grace and faithfulness of God, here I am. I have a beautiful family, a husband of 26 years, two adult sons. I get to teach the best students ever. I work with the best colleagues ever. I get to do clinical work and help people find healing. I have a fantastic research team. We've written a book, 
right? We do important work in coming along sexual and gender minority students on Christian college campuses. We get to hear their stories. We get to journey with them. We get to help them how to figure out, to hold to their faith and to hold their sexual and gender identity together with their faith. We get to challenge and encourage institutions to walk with them better. We get to do the same with the church and their people. Can you think of an issue that is more contentious in our world today than faith and sexuality? Can you think of an area that better integrates psychology and theology? Who knew that God was going to bring me here? But God, do you all know how persistent he is? He never never removed his call to ministry on my life. And he gently has reminded me of that over the years. And a few years ago, he reminded me of that in a very loud way. And this time, I obeyed. And so I am back on track to be ordained in my denomination. I have no idea why. I don't know what it looks like. I don't know what it means. I don't know what the purpose is. I don't need to know. I need to be obedient. The Lord plans my way and he directs my steps. So let me ask you today, all, what about you? Where are you in your journey? Are you working out your plan or his plan? Have you met Jesus yet? Have you given yourself over to God completely? Do you trust that he has a plan for your life and that he will guide you even if you can't see it? If you answer no to any of these questions, please come and see me. See another faculty member. See someone in student development. Let us show you who God is and what he's like. Or even right where you are, ask him to reveal himself to you. He will, I promise. The human heart plans the way, but the Lord directs our steps. He will show you the next step. He will, just as you need it. Trust him. Our God is that good, and he is that faithful. Amen.